Well, good morning, Rocky Peak. Great to see you. So we get ready for Thanksgiving this week. So special welcome uh, to you who are here, some of those outside in the patio. Uh, for those joining you online for this uh, 9 o'clock service, so, so uh, happy to have you as well. So my name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're going to be going into our time of teaching in just a minute. But I do want to just one quick announcement of my own. Uh, every, every year, about this time of year, uh, it's actually not this Monday, but a week from this Monday, uh, we'll be sending out a ministry update letter. And so that always kind of gives you uh, kind of some year-end up-to-date things like our Christmas Eve services, where they're going to be, our Christmas generosity initiative, year-end finances. But this year in particular, some other really exciting things that are happening in January that I want you to be aware of. And so uh, the reason I mention that is if you're already on our mailing list, you'll get that email automatically. But if you're not, I would encourage you to drop your little connect card that's inside your program, fill that out, and drop it at one of our giving kiosks, either out in the lobby or out in the patio, and then we'll add you to the mailing list when you'll, you'll get that automatically. Uh, for those of you joining us online, if you're not yet on our mailing list, uh, if you just send us an email at info at rockypeak.org, we can add your email uh, to, uh, to that list as well. And so then we'll all be up to speed. So I'm excited about some of the new things that are coming in 2023, and I want to give you a heads up uh, early on. Uh, so encourage you to be uh, kind of watching for that. So we're, we're going to go into our time of teaching now. Are you guys ready to go? Yes. Okay, let's pray. So, Father, we're just excited to be here uh, in your house, uh, underneath your leadership, or underneath the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit, who opens our eyes, who helps us to see what is true and real and good, uh, who gives us those aha moments that changes our lives, that time when Scripture comes alive. And we pray that today, this will be one of those times Father, we pray as we talk about this important topic of temptation today, that you would give us eyes to see um, like we've never seen before. And uh, for those of us who are struggling right now with a particular temptation, it's really threatening to kind of derail our walk with you, our, our growth, our, who you've called us to be. We pray especially your spirit would be here to just shepherd each of us in Jesus' name. And we pray this in his name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, our story starts today um, when I was 20 years old. And uh, as a lot of you know, that at that point in my life, I was working uh, at a medical warehouse as a forklift operator. And uh, so, so Lynn was in school at Biola uh, University uh, over in La Mirada. She was studying to become a nurse. She was in the third year, uh, actually, I guess at this point, a fourth year of a five-year uh, nursing program. And so uh, I, was, uh, I was working to help support her and to put her through school and just to support us as a family. And so I'd taken this job as a forklift operator for a large warehouse uh, medical supply uh, company. And uh, on this particular day, uh, I was driving my forklift down one of the aisles, and all of a sudden, it was one of those aha moments. You know what I'm talking about? One of those, one of those Holy Spirit moments where... He just downloads a new truth where he opens up his word in a new way, where he just reveals something really important for us to know that's going to really change our life or, or kind of show us the next step in following him. And there I was kind of minding my own business and down came a download. And, um, 
And, and the download had to do with a particular passage of scripture. It was one that I was very familiar with. You know how the Holy Spirit does that. You can look at a verse you've looked at a million times and all of a sudden it comes alive in a new way. And it was what I was very familiar with. In fact, I'd memorized this verse when I was very young. But I'd never noticed something profound that it said. In that moment, I realized that, that what the Holy Spirit was showing me was kind of helping me to understand what he'd been doing in my life the last year and a half to two years. It was one of those special moments that comes when you're in the house of God, a medical warehouse. Right? <laughs> hey, well, today we are continuing the series that we've been in now uh, since last spring. It's called Christ, Culture, and the Cross. And for those of you who are new, and I know every week God's bringing new people, I always like to just do a little bit of recap at the beginning for, for all of you who are new. That this, uh, this series is an in-depth study of one of the most important letters of the New Testament for our time, I believe. Um, it was written by one of the key leaders of the, the early movement of Jesus. His name was Paul, or if you're really new at this, we call him the Apostle Paul. Uh, he's writing to a group of Jesus followers who live in a, a very strategic Roman city in the southern tip of Greece. The name of the city was called Corinth. He'd actually led these people to Jesus, he and his team, about three years before. Now he's 350 miles away in Ephesus, kind of writing back a letter to them. And so we call this letter the letter of 1 Corinthians. Now, if you've been with us the last month, a little bit more, about five weeks ago, we broke into this new section. It starts at chapter 8, goes through chapter 10, and covers this, uh, this whole issue of, uh, that, that they're trying to understand of, hey, what does it look like to follow Jesus in the midst of a culture that's thoroughly pagan, that where the, the worship of the gods, you know, uh, Athena and Aphrodite and Poseidon, it's like woven into the fabric of everyday life. And specifically, they had some questions about what, what do we do with meat that's been offered in these temples to the gods, kind of devoted to the gods, but then later resold in local meat markets, or, uh, or maybe we go to someone's house for dinner and they serve us and they, they say, hey, this is dedicated to Apollo or to Zeus or whatever. Uh, is it okay to eat that meat? And then even, is it okay for us to continue to go to pagan temples uh, that serve as sort of the restaurants of the day to celebrate special occasions, uh, civic functions, uh, that as long as we know that there's no such thing as these gods, is that okay for us still to do that? And so in this section of the letter, Paul is addressing some of these questions. Now, if you were here last week, we, as we broke into chapter 10, uh, Paul begins to really challenge them uh, that there are some serious spiritual danger, that, that some of them are, are really being tempted to go back to their old lives of idolatry, their old lives of immorality, uh, their old lives of rebellion against God, just to fit in with their culture. And Paul says, hey, you're in extreme danger. In fact, you're, you're kind of in the same place where Israel was when, when God rescued them in this mighty act of salvation out of uh, Egypt, out of slavery. But then in spite of his leading, in spite of his blessing, uh, in spite of freeing them from their enemies, they all end up dying in the wilderness because they went back to their old life of idolatry. So let's, let's learn from their mistakes, right? These things were written down, Paul said last week, these things were written down uh, for us that have come to know Jesus after the Messiah has come. And so he's issued some very stern warnings. 
And what we want to do today is pick up where we left last off, uh, left off last week at verse 12 with the end of this warning section. And then today he's going to give, kind of balance it out with an incredible promise. So there in your note sheet, you have a section called Christ, Culture, and the Cross, the promise. And so let's pick it up at verse 12 where we left off last week. So after talking about the nation of Israel, how they fell in the wilderness, how they rebelled against God, he he says to them in verse 12, he says, so if you think that you're standing firm, be careful that you don't what? Fall. Fall. Okay, so, so what Paul is saying is that, hey, Corinthians, you have a lot in common with Israel. You too have experienced a mighty salvation through Christ. You too have been baptized. Like they were baptized in the Red Sea into Moses. You too were baptized. You too have experienced the presence of God in your life, just like they did with the cloud by day and the fire by night. You too have eaten spiritual food and drink. You celebrate communion often when you meet. He says, but, 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 but uh, kind of watch and learn from their lives. The lesson is a good start doesn't guarantee a happy ending. And so, so you need to be very careful, he says, because I can sense some of you are about to give into this temptation to go back to your old life like they did. So be very careful that you think you stand, that you fall. And so now today, he wants to balance that. And he's going to give them a promise I think it's one of the most powerful promises in the Bible. And it has to do with temptation. They're facing this huge temptation. So this is promise about God's tem- about what, what happens when we're tempted. And so in verse 13, he says, here's what you need to understand. I know you're tempted to go back to idolatry. I know you're tempted to go back to your immorality. I know you're tempted to go back to your old life of rebellion. But he says, He says, here's the good news. No temptation has overtaken you. Or in the Greek, it's the idea of being seized upon, kind of reaching out and grab you, tackling you. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. what, What you're experiencing may feel very profound and very unique, but the reality is there's nothing new under the sun, and anything you're going through, your temptation, it's nothing new. It's not unique to you. And he says, and God is faithful. He's not going to allow you to go through this alone. In fact, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And so this word temptation, let me talk about it just for a minute, is an important word in the New Testament uh, the word in Greek, parismas, I won't spell it out, but paris, it's the normal word for temptation. But what's interesting about this word is that it can be translated uh, as temptation, but it can also be translated as trial. Right? So it just depends on the, like in James chapter one, you know, that, that when you, you know, rejoice when you go through trials, same word. It's like it just depends on the context. And Paul seems to have both in mind here because, of course, a trial, a a temptation is something you resist, but a a trial is something you endure, right? And we're going to get both kinds of language here. So he says, no temptation has overtaken you except what's common. God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will provide, what's the next three words? A well. Because I want you to underline that. It's going to be important today. 
that he'll provide a way out uh, so that you can endure it, right? So the basic promise is, hey, as you, as you go through life, you're going to experience different temptations, but you can trust that God is faithful. He'll never, uh, he'll never allow you to be tempted uh, beyond your ability to resist. He'll never put you in a situation that's beyond your ability to endure. He'll walk with you throughout that, and he'll show you how to handle that when the time comes, all right? So it's an incredible promise. Now, what I want to do today is I want to stand back and I want to highlight three key principles for our lives that flow out of this passage about temptation. So there in your note sheet is a section called Temptation 101, and we're just going to kind of go through these. They'll, they'll build on each other, all right? So number one, uh, the first thing, it's kind of obvious, but we're just going to start by, uh, by building kind of a foundation here, build on. The first thing that catches it, everyone is tempted, Right? So, so you and I, as followers of Jesus, we're not exempt from temptation. You obviously know that. But what I want you to catch is there, that we'll, we'll never come to a point in our life, in this life before Jesus comes, you and I will never come to a point in our life when we will grow so much we will not be tempted. Okay? The temptation is a part of life. Now, uh, your temptation may be different than mine or the person's next to you. We're all wired differently, uh, and we're all going to have different kinds of temptation. Um, and so one person, their temptation may be, their big temptation may be gambling, someone else's sexual immorality, someone else's anger and kind of refusal to forgive, someone else's a temptation to make uh, finance or, or uh, success our gods. Uh, so we're all going to be different based on our wiring, our personality, and based on our life experiences, right? like what we're being faced in our life. But we're all going to go through this. And what Paul wants us to understand is that, that whatever the temptation is, that it's, it's common. It's not unique. So I want you to look at this. He says, the temptation, uh, no temptation has overtaken you, seized you, except what is common to mankind. That, that you and I are never going to... Now, this is extremely important. Because in times of severe temptation, right? So temptations are like on a scale, right? Like some temptations are smaller temptations. And even if we fall to them, it's not the end of the world. You know, we have that extra piece of chocolate cake while we're on a diet. Uh, we have, yes, we've given it to temptation, but the end result is not that big of a deal, right? But there are other temptations, and this is the kind of temptation Paul is talking about. There are other temptations that have the threat, the possibility, the potential of threatening, uh, kind of really damaging, destroying us, even derailing our whole walk with Jesus. And when one of those temptations comes, I want you to catch this, they're extremely intense, it's easy to talk about when we're sitting here, like, yeah, we get it, but, but hey, when you're in an extreme temptation, right, if you're fighting an addiction to some sort of substance, if your marriage is bad and you're on the verge of an affair, if you're faced with an ethical situation at work and if you do the right thing, you could lose your job, your career. When the temptation is intense, one of the greatest lies of the enemy is that no one understands what you're going through. None of your Christian friends, they don't understand this. No, people don't understand. They don't understand. And if they knew 
what this was really, like no one's ever, you've been harmed so much by this person. Your temptation is to hate them and to not give them forgiveness. And if they really knew what it was like to go through what you've gone through, they would never require this of you. And Satan can even come along and say to us, why are you even trying to resist this? You know you're going to give in in the end. God couldn't even expect this of anyone. Why didn't you just get in and get over with? And so Paul says, hey, not only is everyone tempted, but whatever the temptation is, at your moment of greatest temptation, it is not unique. There is no temptation we'll ever face that is unique to us, that others have faced it as well. And I think it's important as we start here just to remind ourselves too that to be tempted is not to sin, right? That we're all going to be tempted in life. Someone's tempted to do horrible things. But temptation is not sin. Remember what we, we learned in the book of Hebrews, the letter of Hebrews, that, that Jesus was tempted in all ways like us. And that's one of the reasons he became one of us. So he would understand what it's like to be human and to go through that experience so that he could be, as, as Hebrews says, our faithful high priest to help us in our time of weakness, right? So, so everyone is going to experience temptation. You're going to experience it. I'm going to experience it. Temptation may change over the course of your life, what that temptation is. But we're all going to experience it. And when it happens, and especially when it's most intense, we need to understand this is nothing unique. It's what the enemy will say. And Paul says, no, your temptation, it's, it's common. Number two. The second principle is that temptation is dangerous. Now, of course, at one level, again, sort of obvious, but I want to talk about this, that, that again, certain temptations rate on a scale of one to 10, right? And there's certain temptations, sure, if we give in to them, the, there, there's a downside, but it's not that huge. You know, think of a piece of chocolate cake again, right? It's like, it's... The, but there's other temptations that are big. The other temptations that have the capacity to destroy us, to destroy others, um, to destroy our lives, and to even derail our relationship with God. That's what they were facing, right? So they're, they're, Paul is, he's concerned that they're going to leave Jesus, go back to their life of idolatry and immorality, and think they can still hold on to Jesus, and it's not going to happen. You remember what Paul said back in 1 Corinthians 6? In fact, let's look at this. Back in 1 Corinthians 6, just for context, remember when, when Paul is, when, when they're reading this letter from Paul, they would have read 1 Corinthians 6 about 10 minutes ago, right? So in 1 Corinthians 6, remember after, after chapter 5, where they're tolerating sexual immorality in the church and and they're taking each other to court in chapter six, and now some are arguing that, are, are about to argue that it's okay to keep on going to the temples having sex with prostitutes, that Paul says, hey, let's do a reality check verse, in verse, uh, chapter six and verse nine. He says, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says, don't be deceived. It's possible to be deceived. Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, right? That's the topic on the table. Sexual immorality and idolatry. 
He says, neither sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor grieves, nor, uh, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. He says, this is serious business. What you're dealing with here, you're, you're flirting with idolatry, you're flirting with sexual immorality. He says, if you, you're in grave spiritual danger. Just like Israel had this amazing start to their walk with God and then they're destroyed. You're in the danger of falling into the same trap. Now, I think for us emotionally to connect with this passage, that we, we need to go back in time, kind of put on a, our first century lens, and we need to talk about, about idolatry just for a moment. Because for, for most of us here, this is not a big temptation. There are many places in the world today, this still is a big temptation. But in our Western culture, this is not our big temptation. That we're going to leave here today and go to some pagan temple and participate in pagan rites and think that we can still do that and follow Jesus. But what I want you to understand is though on the surface, their temptation is very different Underneath the core temptation is very real for us today. And so let's talk about idolatry. One of the things that we've learned in this series is that, that idolatry, the worship of pagan gods, was woven into the fabric of everyday life. We've talked about that a lot, right? And, and so what this means is for someone to be true to Jesus and refuse to participate in idolatrous activities could have huge social, relational, financial impact on their life. Like, let me give you an example. One of my favorite uh, scholars uh, and uh, one of my favorite commentaries on 1 Corinthians uh, is written by Dr. Uh, David uh, Garland. And there in your note sheet, I put a, a quote, and it's a little bit challenging, but let's, let's go through it because it's very significant what he says. He said, uh, he's, he's commenting on this whole issue of idolatry in Corinth, and he says, avoiding all overt associations with idolatry. So we're just not going to be involved with idolatry. It would invite hostility, especially when one was a guest at the home of a religiously minded, kind of a, in other words, a pagan worshiping person, a religiously minded host who offered food that had been sacrificed by an idol. If the host was a patron, so in, in Roman culture, there was a, a huge system, social system that we don't have in our culture at all called patronage. And so, so if you're a patron, what it, what it means is that you have many people underneath you that were called clients. And this was a voluntary relationship. But, but, but uh, a, a patron, the higher up in the social scale you'd go, the more clients you would have. And these would be people that you would kind of look out for. If you had a problem, you could bring it to them. If you have financial needs, you could bring it to them. Uh, if you got in trouble with the courts, they might help you. And so they're, they're sort of like a protector for you. But in exchange for that, uh, you would provide them loyalty. There were certain services you would provide them. Uh, if they were uh, voting, let's say, going for a public office, you would, you would vote for them and so on. So it was relationship. And it was very important in the Roman Empire. And so he says, if the host was a patron... One's refusal to eat idol food could be taken as a grave insult to the God and the host. What such an affront could lead to catch us financial, financial retribution. If the host was a family member or a neighbor, the refusal could result in being cast into outer darkness of social banishment. 
just being cut off from your family. In the face of such pressure, Christians will be tempted to compromise and rationalize their decisions. Withdrawing from all idolatrous functions would scuttle any ambitions for social advancement. It could impair your patron-client relations. It'd fuel ostracism. It'd damage economic partnerships. The pressure to compromise and to join in the hail fellow well-met conviviality was intense. And here's what I want you to catch. As we, we look back and we see this, this issue of idolatry, it's hard for us emotionally to connect. But let me ask you something. Right now in our culture, there is increasing pressure in our careers, in our schools, in our corporations to buy into the politically correct party line. And if we don't, there could be financial, social, personal retribution, right? That we're experiencing that in our cult, and there's gonna be increasing temptation for us to go along. And yet, oh yeah, you know, we're gonna support, I'm gonna support, I'm, gonna, I'm all for Pride Month, or I'm all for this. There's gonna be increasing pressure. And what I want you to understand is that's a pressure we can relate to, right? That's a temptation. And that was really their temptation, is if they're true to Jesus, they're gonna be cut off from much of their culture. It could impact them financially. It could impact their careers. It could impact their social relationships. It could impact their relationship with their family. And so it was a very intense thing. And so Paul says, hey, I realize what you're going through, but you have to understand this temptation to compromise, it's extremely dangerous. And that's why he's warning them, because he loves them and he wants to look out for them. And what, what I want you to get, what you could say of Paul in this situation, you could say of all the teaching in the Bible. That whenever God is warning us, hey, don't go there, don't do this, this is what you need to do, thou shalt or thou shalt not, it's always because he's looking out for our best interest. Just like Paul is looking out for theirs. One of the ways I put this is that all the teaching of the word it's always protective. It's never restrictive. So it may feel restrictive at times, but it's not. It's protective. Like, let me give you an illustration. I've shared this before a couple times. I got movement courses, maybe up once up here. But when my daughters were young, uh, we lived down in Vista, and we lived on a third of an acre, and. There was, uh, we lived on a flag lot. So we lived on a, it was kind of a, kind of a city street, but it was like a kind of a rural city street, but it had a lot, a lot of traffic. And, um, and so the street was here. We had this really long driveway that went up and then turned this way, and our house and property was back here. And on this side of this long driveway was uh, a line of like 12-foot-high oleander bushes, very thick, and eucalyptus trees. So completely blocked any vision to the left as you went down our driveway. On the right side of the house was a little bit of our, the, the road, uh, the driveway. The right side was a little bit of grass patch, and a house was there. So as you drive up our driveway, you'd have these oleanders on the right, you'd have this house on the left. And so my daughters, as they were growing up, they liked to ride their bikes up and down this long driveway. It was kind of perfect place. 
but I had a rule for them. And the rule was, there was on the side of this house, there was a water faucet at a certain point, a little bit more than halfway down the driveway. And the rule was, you can't go past the water faucet. Now for them, this seemed incredibly restrictive. They're having fun, they're riding their bikes, there's no one in our driveway, why can we only go down two-thirds down the driveway and have to stop? It seems ridiculous. But as a father who's older, I understand that when someone drives into our driveway, you cannot see anyone coming until they're already there. And if my daughters are riding to the end of that street, which in their mind would make perfect sense into that driveway, they would be in serious danger. Anyone pulls in, it would be ahead on. There'd be no time. Are you with me on this? You found this? So from their point of view, this was a restrictive rule. And sometimes they would push back, why can't we go down? And I would try to explain, but they just couldn't get it. From my point of view, it was from a father's heart to protect them. And this is what I want you to catch. This is incredibly important when we come to God's word to understand that God's word is always protective. That his rules, his laws, his, that's never restrictive. It may feel restrictive at the time. But that's simply because we don't have the Father's vision of reality. And, and can I tell you something? Many things that we feel are restrictive at one point in our life, as we grow in our faith, we realize, oh, that wasn't restrictive, that was protective. And so Paul is, wants them to understand, hey, what you're, what you're doing, you cannot go back. This is danger. This can derail you. It's interesting because in the book of James, in the letter of James later in the New Testament, it talks about this. And I want us to look at this passage here in James chapter 1. It's all about temptation. And in James 1, James writes, hey, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. He's not in the tempting business. God cannot be tempted by evil, and he doesn't tempt anyone. But he says, here's what's happened. Each person is tempted when they're dragged away. Notice that language. They're kind of like, remember, seized. They're like dragged away, and they're enticed by their own evil desire. So as fallen human beings, we don't even need Satan in, in the process. We have a fallen human nature with this magnetic pull to the dark side. right? And so he says, we're, we're dragged away by their own evil desire and they're enticed. He says, and then after desire has conceived, so the desire is not wrong. It's, it's the, the temptation does, is not sin, but after it conceives, we give into it. There comes a point where we give into that temptation. He says, after it's conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to what? Death. To death, right? So, so this is it, is it, Paul says, hey, you're in a very dangerous situation, and we all are. When we're ever in one of these situations where we're experiencing temptation for something the Bible's just clearly said, thou shalt not, or thou shalt, and everything within us wants to, to go with this, that we're in a very dangerous place. And we need to recognize that danger. Now, number three. Now, the good thing, the, here comes the problem. So good thing Paul says is, that, so, so what he said so far is that, hey, we're all going to experience temptation. Uh, there may be different kinds, different seasons, but we're all going to experience this. It, it can be extremely dangerous like it was for them. But here's the good news is that God is faithful. 
He says he wants him to understand that whenever we go through temptation, we never go through it alone. That the Father is always there. The Son is always there. The Spirit is there. That when we go through temptation in our time, in our lives, that, that God is always there. He never leaves us. We're never on our own. He doesn't say, hey, hope you figure this out and then check back in. That God is very present. He's with us in the midst of that temptation. So let's look at the verse again. Uh, we're going to skip a verse, go down uh, to the second one, 1 Corinthians 10. We'll come back and get the others in a minute. But he says, God is faithful. And he says, here's his promise. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And so what Paul wants you to know, and this is important for us to understand, as followers of Jesus, there is no temptation that's too hard for you as a follower of Jesus to beat. There is no addiction that Jesus can't break. Paul says that there's nothing you're ever going to, there's never a temptation you're going to face, there's never a hard time you're going to be called to endure, that God is not going to be with you in that and give you the power to overcome. That's the promise. Now, if we stand back from the New Testament and other, what Paul says in other places, this goes to the heart of the gospel. You see, in the Old Testament, Israel was given the law of God, which was a beautiful gift. I know a lot of you women are, are studying, are just been studying Flourish and Psalm 119, and this beautiful gift of God's law. You know, the, the word law in Hebrew is Torah, which means, can mean law, but also is like instruction. And so, so, so in the New Testament, Paul says, God has given us this beautiful law, kind of a path to way life. He says, but the problem was for Israel that, that God could tell them the path to life, but they didn't have the power to choose it. And so the very law that was given to lead them to life actually led to their condemnation. But the beautiful thing is in Christ is that when someone comes to Christ, two things happen. That not only do we receive forgiveness of our sins, but we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit who comes to lead us and guide us and catch us, empower us to live a new life and to choose life and not death. And so, of course, the New Testament talks about this a lot, but I just want to give you one example. In Romans 8, Paul is talking about this. In Romans 8, he says, if you, in other words, as followers of Jesus, if you live according to the flesh, which is Paul's term for kind of our, our old life, uh, our old desires, whether they're physical or mental, right? He says, if you live according to the flesh, you will what? Die. It just leads to death, right? Remember, the wages of sin is death, not just in the sense that, of judgment, but in the sense, like, sin always kills. It's why God tells us to avoid it, destroy, it destroys our relationships. It destroys our, our uh, kind of the integrity of our human personality. It robs us of life. And so he says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But he says, but if, and what are the next three words? By the, By the Spirit. So I want you to underline this. This is the new covenant, right? When, later we're celebrating communion. And when Jesus uh, offered communion, 
He said, this is the new covenant in my blood. What's he talking about? He's talking about the promise of Jeremiah that one day God would enter into a new covenant with his people where he would not only forgive their sins, he would write his law on their hearts. Or in the words of Ezekiel, he will pour out his spirit on you and move you to do what is right. And so so for the follower of Jesus, we're not a self-help movement. And we come to Jesus, okay, here's what we're supposed to be. Let's like pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We often live as if it's the case. But for Paul, no, no, it's by the Spirit. It's not by your own willpower. It's not by your own ingenuity. It's not just by your spiritual disciplines. It's that, no, no, it's by the Spirit. And sometimes it takes us a while to learn as followers of Jesus, how to tap into the Spirit's power. But he's very clear. It's, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will what? You'll live, right? So, so the, the beauty of this is that Paul says, hey, now that you've come to Christ, there is no temptation, there is no hard time you'll ever experience where God will not be with you and give you the power to over to resist or to endure depending on the situation. Okay, so that's the core promise. Now, this leads to a key question for our life, and this is sort of where the rubber meets the road, or as an old friend used to say, puts the cookies on the bottom shelf. Anyway, so <laughs> Christ, culture, and the cross, the key question. So, so I have a question for you, and I, wanna, I want you to write it down, and then I'm going to explain what I mean. So the question is, what is your way out and will you take it? What I want you to catch is what we've looked at so far is really the first half of the promise of 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There's actually like two promises, or you could look at them like part A and part B, part one and part two, that work closely together. But the first part, if you look there on your note sheet, the first part that we just looked at, God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So the first promise is that you'll never go through anything in your life that's going to be too big for the Holy Spirit to handle. That, that if you're listening and following, the Holy Spirit will, he will empower you to either resist the temptation or endure the hard time. That's the first half of the promise. But there's a second half. And this leads me back to the story we started the day with. You remember we started the day, I'm 20 years old, I'm working at a medical warehouse, I'm driving my forklift. Lynn and I have been married a year and a half, two years. And the last couple of years have been a time of radical spiritual growth. And the reason is, and this is kind of hard to put into words or hard to explain, But I think up to that point in my life, I think that prior to that, kind of my view of Christianity was it was here's what you're supposed to be, now go and do it. And so the way we do that is we we read the word, we memorize scripture, we practice disciplines, we fast, but we we kind of, that's how we change ourselves. And the last year and a half had just been this major spiritual breakthrough where, well, that's really not it. It's, It's like the message of the gospel is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's by, it's by learning to trust him and lean into his strength that, that we can access the power of his spirit to live this new life. And it's sort of hard to put into words, but he'd been teaching me that. So like the major lesson and, for, and the reason for the breakthrough in about the last year and a half. So it's been a time of incredible growth, right? So just 
really growing, really hungry for the word. And for whatever reason, as I'm on my forklift that day, I'm thinking about 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And I, I don't really remember why, but I remember, and, and all of a sudden, it was one of those moments where like the light bulb goes on and you see something in a verse that's always been there, but you've never noticed it. Have you ever had that experience? You just kind of, you, like you've read it a million times. I mean, I'd memorize this verse. I'd quote it a billion times, you know, but, but I'd never noticed it. And it's the second half. It's the promise, the second half of the promise. And let's see what it says. He says, the first half is God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But here's the second half. But when you are tempted, he will what? He will provide a way out. Let me ask you a question. Who provides the way out? God. Can it be more clear? It's interesting, this word for a way out. In the Greek, the word, we're going to spend a lot of time on this, but the, the, the word is ekbosis. Kind of sounds like an exit, like an ekbosis, right? And that is the idea. Um, it, it's, it's sort of the way out, the way off. I, I picture it like you're, you're heading down the freeway, like the 405, and um, you're wondering, why did I come this way? And, uh, and all of a sudden, you look up and you see traffic stopping, and, and your dashboard comes on and says, accident ahead. And, and so you, you know, it could be dangerous. Uh, it's probably going to be a long traffic jam, and so there's an exit there. You have the opportunity to get off the 405 and reroute, right? And if you have ways going, it's going to tell you to do that. And so, so this verse is saying that, hey, when we face a temptation in our life, when we're going through a hard time, that God is faithful. He won't allow us to be tempted more than we can resist or more than we can endure, but that in the midst of that, he will show us the way out. I, I picture like, like I'm in a burning house Right, I wake up in a burning house and I realize I'm in great danger and all of a sudden, you know, the house is full of smoke. I don't know what to do. Jump out a window or try to go down the stairs. All the alarms are going off and, and all of a sudden I hear the voice of a fireman who's on his hands and knees and calling to me, follow me, right? I'll show you the way out. And so I have to decide now what I'm gonna do. So, so when you're in the midst of a hard time, when you're in the midst of a temptation, God is not only with you, he will show you the way out. I never realized that. I thought it was up to me to find my way out. And this is what he'd been showing me the last year and a half. But no, no, we come to Jesus we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's like our, like I said, if you, he's like our spiritual life coach, like our spiritual trainer. And he's going to show us how to run this race. He's going to show us how to train. And during time of temptation, he's going to say, follow me. Here's the way out. The question is, and this is huge, is if he shows us, will we follow? Because the reality is when that fireman's calling, I might say, no, no, I'm just jumping out the second window. I, I like my own way out. Let me give you some examples of this. 
Because often to follow the, the Holy Spirit and his way out that he provides requires a new level of surrender that we're not willing to take. And so we, we, we want out of this sin, but we're not willing to do what's required to get out of this sin. Are you with me? Like we want out, but on our terms. Like let me, let me give you just two or three kind of random examples and then you can apply them to your temptation if these don't fit. Let's say you're, you're dating, right? You're dating and uh, you're, follow, you're both followers of Jesus and you love him and you know that, that sexual purity is a non-negotiable and so you've, you've committed in your relationship, you want to honor Jesus and you're committed. We're not going to sleep together before we're married, but of course there's a lot of stages between holding hands and sleeping together. And so as you've sought the Lord, you've kind of, here's the boundaries for the Holy Spirit has given you but the longer that you date, the more you find yourself transgressing those boundaries. So you confess and you ask the Lord to forgive you, but then you do it again. And so you go before the Lord and you say, Lord, you promised that you'd show me the way out. What is the way out? And what if the Lord tells you, well, here's what you need to do. There's three things you need to do. I'm just making this up, right? You just with me on this? Like, uh, some of you out there taking notes, like, okay, what are the three things? <laughs> like, like, the Lord has to tell you your three things. You just can't take my three things, right? So, so let's say the Holy Spirit, three things, that you need to have some, some newer, tighter boundaries. Like, like, you have to have a new curfew. You're not out past 10 o'clock on dates. You're like 28 years old. You haven't had a 10 o'clock curfew <laughs> since you were 16, right? And no more long conversations in the car. And you can't be at each other's apartment when no one alone. Right? Now the question is, if that's what the Holy, this is your way out. The question is, will we take it? Because many times we say, I don't want that. I feel like a kid again. That's ridiculous. I shouldn't have to follow those boundaries like I'm 12 or something like that. No, Lord, I just want you to change me and give me the power so I can do whatever I want and be wherever we want and, and, then, and then be fine. Are you with me? Like we don't want to take his way out. Sometimes the, the way out is going to be a spiritual solution, not a, like a real practical one. You remember back in 1 Corinthians 6, we talked about this, that when Paul was talking about sexual purity and how it's a non-negotiable, remember he said, he said, do you not realize your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? And then you remember he said this, you are not your own, you've been bought with a price. And it may be as you go before the Lord and say, Lord, help me with this sexual temptation, the, the Lord just highlights that verse for you or that high, and he says, hey, the way out for you is not new boundaries, it's just at a core level, you need to surrender your body to me. And if you do, then I can empower you to walk in a new way. But right now, it's like your body belongs to you. And so every time you come to a boundary, you say, do I want to sin or do I want to obey? Do I want to sin? And we need to go deeper than that. 
And, and I'm, just, I'm asking you to surrender your body to me. And as we do that deeper level of surrender, we experience a new presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our life. And it empowers us. So sometimes it could be practical, like sometimes it could be, let's say your this struggle is pornography, right? You go before the Lord, and you've been trying to handle this on your own, and you just keep falling and failing and so on. And so the Holy Spirit, let's just say for you, he begins giving you some, some new direction, it could be spiritual direction, right? It could be kind of this lesson that I was talking about earlier that, that, hey, you're trying to do this on your own. And you need to learn to trust me to live my life through you and give you the power to do. And so it's really sort of a spiritual jujitsu thing, you know? And that may be it. Or it might be super practical. It might be like this. Hey, you're trying to solve this on your own. Here's what you, you can't. You need to, here's what you need to do. You need three things. And again, remember, these are not your three things. You need to get rid of your TV completely. You need to put the program Covenant Eyes on your computer and have accountability partner. It's on your phone. It's on your computer so that anytime you go to inappropriate site, they'll get an email and so this can, you need some accountability. Or, or maybe he'll say, hey, and you need to start going to a, a group that really focuses on sexual addiction or maybe celebrate recovery. Right? And so, so, here's, so, so here's what the Holy Spirit's saying. And, and then, but the question, will you do it? Or will you say, I don't want to give up my TV. I won't be able to watch NFL. I don't want to put covenant eyes. That's embarrassing. I don't want to account. I don't want someone always knowing what I'm doing. I don't want to go to CR. I don't want a sexual addiction thing. I just, I just want you to change me directly. You see what we do? First of all, we think we're on our own, but if we do ask him, we're not listening for what he says and Often then we reject what he says because the reality is we want the sin more than we want to be free. And we would rather hold on our sin than take the way out, the exit that he's giving us. Right, so it's like sexual example. What about this? Let's say your, your temptation is completely different from that. That your temptation is there's someone in your life who's really hurt you in a very deep way. It could be very severe. And because of that, you know what the Holy Spirit's calling you to forgive them, but you're just, you feel like, no, I, I can forgive a lot of things, but I can never forgive that. And so, so what we're doing is we're surrendering to anger, we're surrendering to bitterness. But the Lord is really convicting us about this, and we know we have to deal with it. And so we finally come to a place, Lord, I don't, I don't know what to do. I can't change my own heart. I hate this person. I wish we're dead. But it's up to me, they'd be taken out tomorrow. Right, that, that's what I honestly feel in my heart, Jesus. And so I, I can't really love them like you. T- I, it's impossible. And so what if the Holy Spirit says, well, here's what I want you to do as a first step. I want you to start every day praying for them. And I want you to pray that I will draw them to myself. And I want you to pray specifically that I would bless them. And I want you to begin looking for opportunities to do random acts of kindness for them. And you say, I don't want to do that. I hate them. I don't want to pray for them. 
I'll pray for them. I'll pray one of the imprecatory Psalms. <laughs> God, may their babies be dashed upon a stone in Jesus' name. Right? Maybe, the situa- maybe for whatever reason, finances are your God, and you know that. You know that you live for finances. You know that they, they hold on to your heart. They've got to wait. It's like your God. It's like your idol. And it's all about making money and saving money and keeping money. And it's like you know the Holy Spirit's showing you that. And you go before the, the Lord and you, and you say, would, would you take this desire away? Would you give me a new desire? And the Holy Spirit says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to start giving for my kingdom. You know you're supposed to do that. You've never been doing that. You stop disobeying. You need to give my kingdom, and then you need to give to the poor as I direct you. Oh, no, I, I don't want to do that. I just want you to change my heart. You see, we, we often want to be saved, but on our own terms. And so there's this two-step process we need to go through whenever we're facing a temptation that's dangerous in our lives and the first step is to bring it to the Lord and say, Lord, you promised that there'd be nothing I would face would be too big for me. But you also promised that you would provide a way out. And so I'm asking you to show me what is the way out. And if you show me, I will surrender, I will listen and follow so you can lead me to life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. So Father, we come today, just one a beautiful passage of your word, just such two incredible promises that there's nothing we'll ever face that's too big for you. There's no addiction that we have. There, there's nothing in our background. There's no way we were raised. There's no way we're wired that's too big for you to handle. That you'll be with us, which is like code word in the Bible for with us in power, with us to save. And, and then you promise that, that when we face these hard times or these temptations, that you will show us the way out. And so, Lord, we just come before you and we, we say, first of all, uh, forgive us for those times where we've not really sought you. And forgive us for those times where we've just, we've tried to muscle through this on our own and we've just not really understood. We've, we felt like we've had to do it on our own. And then Lord, forgive us for those times where you've been trying to tell us the way out, but we've been resistant because we'd rather hold on to our sin than really be set free. And Lord, I just pray today that you'd help us go through a major paradigm shift, that when we face temptation, we face hard times, that you're with us. You're with us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. And you're with us in power. You're with us with the power of the Spirit. You want to teach us how to put to death by the Spirit the temptations of the flesh, the mind, the body, so we can lead to life. You're for us, you're not against us. Your word's always protective, never restrictive. And so, Father, we pray that you'd help us to be one to surrender and to take the steps, whatever they are, internal or external, that you show us the way out. And we pray, Lord, as we come to this time of sweet communion, we pray you'd meet us there, that as we go to the tables, that we, we, we perhaps bring our sin, we bring our failures. We, we experience that, that reality, the forgiveness that you purchased for us at your cross. 
But Lord, may we also experience a time of, of deep surrender, realizing that the danger of the temptations in our life, and if there's any temptations we've been playing with, that we've been surrendering to, that we know are destructive, that, that on this day, Lord, we go before you with a new posture and a new question, Lord, what's my way out? And we pray that you'd show us that way out and give us grace to trust you and follow that. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen.